Welcome to Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. I'm your host, Vern Davis, and I want to welcome today our guest. I'm excited about this conversation. She's got a crazy cool uh, personality. I'm so happy to welcome my guest today on Plant Profits, Joy Beckerman, principal at Hemp Ace International's. And she is, I mean, she's been involved in hemp for over 30 years. And so she's involved in many, many activities and more than I can mention. So we're going to let Joy come on here and talk about those things with me today. So I'm uh, so lucky to, to have the opportunity to do that. I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits. Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global. Joy, how are you? I am so great this morning, Vernon, and thank you so much for having me on Plant Profits. Oh, we couldn't wait to get you here because we need to talk more about hemp. And um, but it's quite interesting. I think you and I have some things in common. Okay, no doubt about. Did you grow up in Washington State? I didn't grow up here, but I raised my sons here, who are now nearly twenty-eight and thirty years old. So I've been here for quite some time. Moved here in '98, sir. Oh, okay. Are you a West Coaster or you came from some other? I came from the Northeast. So I literally went from Maine and New York to Washington. So I traded pine trees and lobster for evergreens and Dungeness crab. Oh, that is, well, those are good trades. I I mean, you know, those those are, those are are definitely good, good trades. But I I know you'd been in Washington State for a while and uh, my family and I lived in the Seattle area. Uh, for about four years out in Woodenville. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful part of, of the great Northwest. I love the great Northwest. That was a great stop we made in life when we lived there, but um, no, it's, it's, it's cool. So you grew up in the Northeast. I did. And most of my work to this day is in New York. Actually, I spend a lot of time in New York and and even for some large projects, uh, temporarily moved back there for three years recently. But uh, but I am just so in love with Seattle. And of course, my sons are here and it's a incredible cannabis community that we have here in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, it is. It is incredible. Now, uh, you know, when I look at your background, I see this huge entrepreneurial streak that that you have. So tell me about how you got that and what nurtured that. You know, it's interesting because it's really a passion for law and regulation that just bleeds okay. into uh, those those industries when one's purpose is hemp. You know, the, the plant mm-hmm. has run my life for decades now, um, yeah. all forms of the plant. I mean, I've also sat on the National Board of Directors for Normal um, and in the president for the Center of the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy. But hemp has really been my calling. Um yeah. And uh, and so but I was raised by an attorney who raised me by himself. No mother, no brothers. or Really? Your dad? And it was it just you? Just me and my dad. Indeed. My lawyer father. Uh, Oh, my God. And my mother is is in my life as an adult. She was a radical activist uh, also. Oh, no, I can't believe I, I can't believe that. I mean, I how, can, it, how, how could someone know you and think that your mom is a radical activist? 
I mean, where would they get that idea? Yeah, I mean, that, that'd be strange. Yeah. You know, and my father, really a conservationist with just a tremendous passion for justice and, and a demand for perfectionism and really raised me with some strong core values that uh, have served my legal career and my mm-hmm. advocacy career uh, in hemp tremendously. And of course, that brings with it an entrepreneurial spirit where when we talk about hemp, we're talking about so many different industries from human and animal nutrition and body care, right. pharmaceuticals and nutraceuticals, but paper, textiles, building material, Holding, yeah, sure. you know, oh, uh, it's, energy it's an amazing, it's an amazing plant. Do you think hemp has gotten lost in the discussion? No, not at all. Um, And and it, you know, it's really, it's really from from where are we looking at, right? So it's all the agricultural discussion, huge part of massive industries, all of those industries that I mentioned, and and I didn't even, you know, complete the list, which is almost impossible to complete, but energy, fuel, uh, sealants and coatings, nanotechnology, I mean, it just goes on and on. So the conversation is happening there, Uh, certainly. Uh, the conversation is happening in state legislatures and uh, regulatory offices across the country. And it's certainly a huge topic, you know, in our Congress. But uh, uh, but no, it, I'm it completely consumes me. And we are getting interest. Hemp is getting interest from every sector that you can think of because I, it I, serves all of them. I, it does. It does. So tell us what hemp is. So hemp is, it's, I I love being able to say, it is all Mm -hmm. one plant. We're talking about cannabis, the genus cannabis, of course, coming from the plant family Cannabaceae, which Humulus hops also comes from. Uh, And then cannabis, of course, has these different divergent subspecies, which is not particularly germane to answering your question, whether it's cannabis sativa, indica, afghanica, americana, ruderalis, so on and so forth. But legally defined, hemp would be the low THC uh, varieties of cannabis. So in the United States, Mm -hmm. that's defined as a cannabis plant that does not contain greater than 0.3% delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol. So okay. that's that's what we're talking about. A a low resin plant originally, you know, we would use this for uh, fiber um, mm-hmm. and grain. And certainly that's where the trillion dollar markets are. Uh, of course, the the plants starting around 2011, they started to rebreed the resin back into the hemp plant to increase the non intoxicating cannabinoids such as CBD, cannabidiol and the hemp extract industry was born sort of hit those of us who had been in hemp mm-hmm. for years like a ton of bricks. I mean, it was just a total blindside, right? And then hemp extract really took center stage because the infrastructure to process a botanical extract is nowhere near as complicated as the infrastructure required to process the longest, strongest fiber in the world and uh, and and so forth. Um, and so we then got the big boom, right, for hemp extract. And I am director mm-hmm. of legal affairs for Zelise, which is an international hemp extract uh, dietary supplement and cosmetic company, as well as uh, part owner and co-founder of Colorado Hemp Works, which is our, our nation's first post-prohibition hemp grain processing facility. But there, of course, we, we discovered a hard lesson, which is it only takes a little bit of hemp to make mm-hmm. a whole lot of hemp distillate. <laughs> and so there was a massive overproduction of hemp um, as 
farmers were being sold really a bill of goods that they were going to make a hundred thousand or a million dollars per acre on this. Yeah. These unscrupulous seed sellers were selling them seeds, you know, that they said were 18. How did this get out of whack? So how did, how did, what happened here? Cause that, you know, it just seems like a bunch of non-education happening here. What, what happened? So what happened was, Farmers, by and large, existing farmers are the farmers of America are are by and large honest people of integrity that are used to doing deals on a handshake. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, we got a bunch of people who didn't have any farming experience at all, but wanted to make their million dollars in hemp. Well, you need to Mm -hmm. be an experienced farmer to deal with this plant. It isn't rocket science, but it has its complexities and it's re-emerging crop that we're learning what genetics and what soil and what climate and what photo period, all of those variety trials are necessary as the crop really reclaims its place in the broad light of day among all of these industrial schemes. And so what happened was we got folks uh, selling genetics that they mm-hmm. said were had you know 18% CBD, no THC, right. that they were 98% feminized, that the germination rate was huge. And then, you know, farmers took their land and their resources and their growing season to grow plants that sometimes had 18 different phenotypes and they were pulling mm-hmm. males. They were not feminized. They were pulling male plants, which is for fiber and and grain is just a part of the the crop, right? But Mm -hmm. for a resin crop, it is it needs to be a female plant. So when you start to grow male plants, that's a very big problem. It it can uh, pollinate uh, your crop. And so and it takes labor to pull male plants, labor that wasn't in these budgets Mm -hmm. uh, for these carefully budgeted farmers and so on and so forth. So in any event, so many um, of these acres, at one point around 230,000 acres, I believe, were grown uh, and just rotted in the field. And even as it sits today, we have, you know, crops from 2019. We have barrels of right. crude extract from 2019. And and therein is where the innovation of synthetically converting these mm. non-intoxicating cannabinoids into intoxicating cannabinoids was born. And that's been a bit of a scourge on the hemp industry. Let's talk about that Let's. after our break. Cool. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Vern Davis. You are joining Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global. My guest today is Joy Beckerman, and as you have heard, she is involved. She is also the principal of Hemp Ace International uh, and a member of the the Hemp Roundtable. Please uh, join us. Uh, We'll be right back. Thanks. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back to Plant Profits. Welcome back to the show. I'm Vern Davis. I am your host of Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. My guest today is Joy Beckerman, and Joy is all about the hemp plant, and we are having a really cool discussion about uh the perceptions of hemp and the realities and joy why don't we we go from there and talk about uh what happened with this overproduction and this blue sky thought process of of what wasn't reality in the hemp industry talk, talk to us about that and where we and where are we now right Versus absolutely where, yeah 
Absolutely. So, of course, hemp was a huge part of our U.S. history. And yes. then the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act basically taxed and regulated hemp out of existence. Uh, and then in the 1970 Controlled Substances Act made the actual cultivation of hemp a felony or even possessing a seed capable of germination uh, was a felony. Having said that, it was still legal to import raw hemp materials and manufactured hemp goods. Uh, and we became and, and always were, in fact, the largest importer and are to this day of hemp goods. Uh, so the 2014 Farm Bill um, allowed for, had this beautiful little amendment in it, the ag the um, legitimacy of industrial hemp research amendment, which allowed agricultural pilot programs, mm. meaning state departments of ag in states that had legislation to allow for the cultivation of hemp uh, wow. to promulgate rules for those those trials, um, as well as institutions of higher education. And then the 2018 Farm Bill brought it from agricultural pilot programs into a straight up agricultural commodity and removed hemp and all of its parts and cannabinoids and derivatives and isomers and salts of isomers from the shackles of the Controlled Substances Act. But we didn't have the infrastructure here to process again that long, strong fiber and that beautiful hemp grain. Uh, that that uh, infrastructure is of course building and coming online and it's absolutely glorious to see. However, botanical mm. extraction was a thing. And so that, that overproduction occurred um, where people just had these pie in the sky dreams. These farmers were being sold a bill of goods uh, and it was by and large a disaster, although it created uh, the hemp extract industry and started to get cannabinoids into the deficient endocannabinoid systems of the United States. And as of a few years ago, there was a Gallup poll that showed that one out of every 14 Americans, uh, which it equated to 7% or so of Americans were using uh, CBD products, hemp extract products. So uh, that overproduction occurred. Um, also the FDA, of course, despite the legalization of hemp yes. and extracts. Let's talk FDA, about that. Yes, yeah. the FDA, we've been in an open rulemaking process for going on three years now now, Vern, as the FDA continues to shirk its responsibilities. What's refused, going on there? What, refused to tell me job. what's going on there with the FDA. Why is the FDA dragging their feet? And, and what are we doing about it? So we have three bills right now before Congress okay. um, and lots of pressure from, I mean, so many group letters from senators, from U.S. senators, state senators, state attorney general, state departments of ag commissioner, begging them to do their job and create a regulatory framework to protect United States citizens and consumers to guarantee safety and quality of these products that are out there being sold to children, being sold at gas stations and vape shops for good so why aren't they doing their job, Vern? Excellent question. And I'm going to just go right back to big pharma and, and just pan, just kowtow <laughs> to, to big pharma. And they use every excuse in the world like, oh, if we yeah. create this framework, there's going to be all this synthetics that come in from China as if mm -hmm. we're not already dealing with that type of problem, even right here in the United States. It boils down to big pharma. Um, now, uh, GW Pharmaceuticals did were in many ways, they're seen as sort of the evil folks there and in, in also so many ways the heroes who who starting in the mid 90s yeah. uh, 
uh, began to avail itself of the process that one must avail oneself of in the United States and other developed countries to create an approved drug, something that would be legally allowed a cannabinoid product to create a medicine that would be beneficial to people. And by God, is Epidiolix beneficial to people? It's ungodly expensive, but it's incredibly beneficial. Having said that, the the very creation of it, the, the actual simply making public of the of the investigation of the clinical trials to create this drug, what that did was start the trigger on something called the investigational new drug preclusion which is a part of the statute of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act that says once a substance or clinical trials for a substance has made public as part of an investigational new drug or has been approved as a new drug, that same substance cannot be marketed as a dietary supplement or a food additive. So the FDA has been resting on the IND preclusion Uh, to to create its position. So we have three bills before mm-hmm. Congress right now, uh, one of which with heavy support, 40 co-sponsors already, HR uh, 841, and uh, that would direct the FDA to allow hemp extract. And by the way, the FDA is not differentiating between the single molecule of CBD, regardless of what plant or type of cannabis mm-hmm. it comes from, and full spectrum hemp extract, which the FDA well knows are completely different, different articles. Yeah. The word is article in statute. And uh, so it directs them to create the framework yeah. and allow so, us to avail ourselves of, of what new dietary ingredients go through, whether it's from a cannabis plant or not a cannabis plant. Allow us to access the new dietary ingredient and self-grass uh, avenues for introducing a new dietary ingredient. Yeah. That sounds complicated. It is, brother. It gets okay. even more complicated. I mean, I, I mean you, you said a lot there, and that just sounds complicated. And one thing I know, when it's really complicated, it's even more complicated. Amen. So, oh. you know, so uh, what's going to happen to CBD? So ultimately, they are going yeah. to end up creating a regulatory framework. Now, there are three sort of swim lanes. There's food and beverage. In the United States, if you're going to be put into the mouth of a human being, you are either going to be a food and beverage, or you're going to be a dietary supplement, or you're going to be a drug, or you're going to be an over-the-counter drug. So there's four different sets of law and regulation around those things. And in the end, what I predict is that the FDA will take isolate away um, from the dietary supplement world. It, none, of it, none of it, as far as the FDA concerned, is, is allowable right now. But since there hasn't been a final determination or a final agency action, it hasn't been tested in court, and we're right. in an open rulemaking period, the industry is allowed to grow. So I do believe that in those swim lanes, so to speak, they will probably not go for food and beverage, although we are pushing for it tremendously. And that's because of, of the rack or the recommended allowance that, that consumers generally will consume during any given day. So they want to be able to control how much of these, these molecules are being consumed. But dietary supplements, we will probably get, they will probably set a maximum amount for what mm-hmm. can be allowable in a dietary supplement, probably per serving and per package. Um, and they will most likely, you know, uh, keep isolate CBD, which they will define for approved drugs. And then they will probably allow some over-the-counter drug topicals and uh, 
and potentially some oral ingestibles. We'll, we'll see. But I think ultimately we'll end up with dietary supplements and keep pushing for food and have isolate uh, reserved for approved drugs. Wow. Money talks. Those big lobbyists, right? Those big companies. Big time. They're making this a slow go. A, bit, a slow go. And, the, and they've got the FDA just helping them all along the way. There is, there's just nothing that makes sense anymore. They have gotten their marching orders from Congress and they are yeah. literally allowing this insanity to, to go on. And now with these synthetically converted cannabinoids and acetate esters that are intoxicating, that can be very harmful to health between residual solvents and frankly, caustic chemical reactions that take place because of the reactions between solvents. When we talk about some of these things and they are available to children, they're being marketed as intoxicating, which is just a scourge to the hemp industry and certainly contrary mm -hmm. to the legislative intent of legalizing hemp, which was not at all for intoxicating purposes. So the FDA needs to do its job here and they are being called upon um, by all manner of reasonable humans and elected officials and, and uh, public servants. Well, I thought this new administration was gonna bring some positive changes. I, I sure do hope uh, that that this reaches the FDA. I mean, you know, we, we like to say we're I, we understand your patient, for goodness sake. There's been a global pandemic, obviously, uh, so on and so forth. But uh, they they really need to get this done. It isn't even complicated. We're asking to avail ourselves of an existing rigorous framework for good manufacturing practices, which when we say GMP, good manufacturing practices, that involves also, of course, labeling, packaging, holding, distribution, uh, right. the whole bit. And there's already a framework that exists, just need to tweak it a little bit for things specific to hemp, whether that's warnings, obviously testing, um, but that's it. And they're not doing it. Um, we'll see brand new commissioner um, who we, we like, we want to be hopeful, uh, who has been involved and in, in a proponent in, in the past. Uh, so we'll see what this brand new FDA commissioner does for us. Yes. Now, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about all the things you are touching, all the things that you're involved in that's going to move this complicated story forward. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits, and thank you all for joining us here today. My guest today is Joy Beckerman. She is principal at Hemp Ace International and many other things. And as you can tell, she's an expert in the hemp plant. And um, we'll be right back, and we'll continue our discussion. Thank you. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back to Plant Profits, and I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host, and I'm with Joy Beckerman. And Joy is involved with the hemp plant in every way possible. But Joy, tell me why you got involved with hemp. What was the attraction, and what was your vision? Uh, you know, I, I learned about hemp at a Grateful Dead show in the spring of 1990. I, I can't believe you were at a Grateful Dead show. Believe it, my brother. Of course you can. And I was handed a flyer <laughs> with some excerpts from The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which is really the, the Bible of yeah. the cannabis movements. And 
And I really, at the time, as 20 years old, I'll go ahead and date myself, um, in 1990, and I thought that, you know, we were all going to kill the planet and eventually each other, but we should practice peace, love, and music on our way to that sort of inevitable death. And uh, that day, that flyer... <clears throat> I certainly don't believe everything I read. I was raised not to, I'm a critical yeah. thinker, but it affected me on a cellular level and, and really changed the trajectory of my life in that it was this sort of cataclysmic conversion of, of a sense of justice. I'm thinking, wait a second, there's a way out of this. And they've criminalized the way out of mm -hmm. this and so this sense of justice with this sense of planetary healing and love for humanity uh it just came together for me and so really we talk about hemp for again it's it's fuel and fiber um and medicine of course and food uh capabilities and so understand that uh what we've got here with with hemp being able to reclaim itself in the broad light of day among america's other agricultural commodities we're talking about massive investment going in for this crop from the usda particularly as it relates to climate change and solutions around carbon capture all plants of course capture carbon that's what photosynthesis is mm -hmm. but the cannabis plant captures it and processes it in a different way and in, in, in a large. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, uh, and ultimately the carbon that the plant captures while it's growing is locked in and then is manufactured into products uh, that we have this carbon locked, locked in these products. And, and then, of course, we're returning so much of it back into the soil and building that organic material. Now, hemp can also uh, be a drain on the soil. We need to we need to practice regenerative agricultural practices in order right. for hemp to really deliver on all of the all of the organic material and soil building and increase in in farm gate uh, promises. It's an incredible rotational crop. Um, but the USDA has you know just announced a billion dollar investment. Um, into partnerships for climate smart commodities and Secretary, uh, USDA Secretary Vilsack toted hemp and its capabilities in announcing uh, that recent tremendous uh, grant. They've funded already massive um, projects and, and continue to fund in research investment for sustainable agricultural research and carbon capture. Um, and we're just seeing interest again from so many uh, different industry sectors who understand, including, you know, those who used to fight against us because uh, because of the, the need for um, uh, humans, as I like to say, better living through chemistry, which is what spurred the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act, where we started to develop uh, synthetic polymers and making plastics, um, other forms of fuel, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And uh, even those those commodities and paper, but those commodities recognize that they are dealing with finite resources and they need alternative renewable resources. They need to uh, be responsible for their carbon footprint. And so they are exploring this incredible plant and, and hemp fiber, hemp fiber cellulose really is so unique. It has surface area and strength 
second only to carbon nanotubes and graphite whiskers. So we're mm -hmm. talking about a plant and those materials are man-made and are so cost prohibitive that you can barely perform research and development with them, much less make manufactured goods that mere mortals like you and I can buy, you know, right. on the shelves. So it's, it's a completely revolutionized air and space and fuel and technology. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. And that's the promise of hemp. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Well, thank you for that. And and I'm, I'm, we're so, so uh, fortunate that you're involved with the plant the way you are. I want to talk about some of the other ways you're involved in, with the plant. So uh, tell me about this Hip Ace International and what you do there and what you guys do. Okay. Thank you. Yes, it is an expert witness firm and a legal support okay. and consulting firm. Um, many of my clients, in fact, are lawyers. Hemp gets a little more and lawyers are brilliant people. They just come yeah. to me because that is my expertise in that it's a little more complicated with with adult use or medical cannabis. You're dealing with a state law. But with yeah. hemp, you're dealing with how it interacts with federal law and across the 50 states, because, of course, interstate trade and commerce and transportation and then internationally. Um, so I do a lot of consulting, a lot of advocacy work as well. My advocacy work is, of course, pro bono. Uh, mm -hmm. I um, serve as a member of the board of directors for the U.S. Hemp Roundtable on behalf of um, my W-2 employer. Mm -hmm. And uh, and my advocacy work takes up a, a huge piece of my time. It's where my heart is. And and I've I use the expertise that I have to try to make this, as you have recognized, very complex areas uh, understandable to lawmakers and regulators as they are tasked with the very important duty of implementing and drafting law and regulation that will set hemp up and their state's farmers and entrepreneurs and consumers for the greatest chance of success. Ah, well, that's uh, that's wonderful. What what's at the forefront on the roundtable right now? It, 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 on the forefront of the roundtable, we you know we've got an incredible minority empowerment committee that is moving okay. forward with some fantastic projects, as well as our sustainability committee. Well, let's, let's, let's 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 take them a little bit one at a time. So, sure. what's what's with with your um, uh, Let's take each project and just kind of tell me what's at the top of the list, because that'll kind of set the agenda. Go ahead. Excellent. You Thank you. Yeah. So advocacy, the roundtable is a 501c4 advocacy organization as opposed to a 501c6 trade association. So that's what we do is okay. all advocacy all the time. So those three bills around hemp extract that I mentioned earlier, yes. S1698, right. um, and a brand new one just for, for food and beverage. Uh, that is our major advocacy and advocacy committee uh, work. Our sustainability committee um, is working, of course, on carbon, um, ESG, and other efforts with the USDA um, to get them to uh, understand uh, more about this plant and work with the with the efforts that they're already um, have moved forward with. Our Minority Empowerment Committee is, is just tremendous where we are able to give free uh, consulting information, uh, webinars, and empowerment to uh, minority farmers, minority mm -hmm. business folks, and uh, entrepreneurs. And we're about to uh, participate in a field day with Alcorn University, which is oh, very cool. New historic. Al uh, yeah, Alcorn is a is an ag university, isn't it? Yes, and yes. it's an HBCU. It's, it's, so yeah. Um, 
as and well. The, and it's a and land the, grant. I think it may be a land grant. Is it a land grant? I, oh, it 100% is a land grant. Yeah, way. that's what I thought. Yeah, land HBCU grant. land grant. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and we'll be planting uh, hemp with the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, of which I serve on their advisory board. Okay, um, good. And, uh, and that will be on a Black-owned farm in Mississippi, mm-hmm. a historic mm-hmm. several-generation Black-owned farm. And this is incredibly important. Hemp owes a, a specific duty to minorities. Um, hemp really it was born, the whole industry before it was uh, criminalized here, um, was really born on the, on the backs of slaves. And in, in contrary to the social equity pieces that are being built into cannabis legislation, the opposite happened with hemp, whereas we have a 10-year drug felon ban, and it, it is the drug war has impacted minorities and people of color disparately, and, and it has devastated those communities. And in hemp, if you have been convicted of a, of a drug felony within 10 years of your wow. application, for a hemp license, you're not eligible for a hemp license. That is another major piece of the Minority Empowerment Committee in the USM Roundtable that we are repealing, working to repeal that in the next Farm Bill. Active, we actually already, there is active legislation right now, the Hemp Advancement Act that we worked on with Rep. Pingree from Maine. But we, that hopefully, if, if doesn't pass as a standalone bill, which things hardly ever do, will be folded into the 2023 Farm Bill with several different amendments, but very, working very hard on repealing that drug felon ban. Yeah, that's, that's man, that is so important what you guys are doing now. I know you're you're involved with at least two or three other things. Is there one that you'd like to talk about uh, before we close out today? I think the uh, Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy (CASP), uh, okay. which was founded by our Executive Director Dr. Dominic Corva, and based here in Seattle, doing most of the work, however, taking place in Humboldt County, um, mm-hmm. California, on the yeah. legacy market. Um, again, that is uh, has to do with, of course, adult use and medical cannabis, but uh, all forms of cannabis are very near and dear to my heart. And the work that is performed through uh, the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy and, uh, and the legacy market um, is just tremendously near and dear to my heart. And thank you so much for, for giving me an opportunity to, to say that, Vern. Oh, that is wonderful. And I'm so happy you were able to say that. And I'm really, Joy, it was a great pleasure to have you on the show today on Plant Profits. And Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global. And my name is Vern Davis, and I am your host. And I want to thank you all for joining us on Plant Profits. And I want you to know, I want you to go out and download episodes of Plant Profits. We have over 100 episodes uh, of Plant Profits, and you go to CannabisRadio.com, or, you, you know, you can go to Apple, Spotify, iHeart. It doesn't matter. Wherever you get your your uh, podcast fix, you can find Plant Profits. And look for this particular um, uh, episode with Joy Beckerman, uh, and I think it'll be very educational. I learned a lot today. Uh, with our guest. And uh, she's an awesome teacher of this subject matter and um, really, uh, really astute. So, and I also want you to follow Protus Global, my company, uh, through all social networks, including LinkedIn, right? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, all social media platforms. You can really learn how 
Protus Global, how we're building companies and how we're affecting and changing people's lives in the talent acquisition business. Protus Global is, is protusglobal.com, P-R-O-T-I-S, global.com. And until next time, cheers. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.